Our job is to pray. God's job is to answer. So what are you facing right now? Do you have a problem? Do you have a conflict? Do you have a need? Do you need God's provision? Or do you need God's healing? Are you looking for a mate to spend the rest of your life with? Are you, are you looking for employment? Are you looking for something else? Have you prayed about it? looking at the last message in this Elijah series. And in a sense, this is where Elijah falls, but he gets up again. We're going to look at his fall and his recovery. And then of course his big event on Mount Carmel with fire coming down from heaven. But before the fire fell, something else had to happen. Bringing me to point number one, if you're taking no notes. If you want to see God work, we must do our part. Again, if we want to see God work, we must do our part. First Kings 18.30, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. So we all immediately go right to the story of the fire coming from heaven, but don't miss this point. Before the fire fell, the altar had to be repaired. And I ask you this question. Does the altar of your life need to be repaired? What do I mean by that? I mean, is there a hole in your foundation? Is there a problem in your spiritual life? You no longer read the scriptures every day as you once did. Prayer is no longer a part of your life as it once was. Your church attendance is erratic at best. Maybe your altar needs repair. We'll say things like, I want the fire of God to fall on me again, but maybe you need to first repair your altar. To the church of Ephesus, who Jesus commended and then critiqued, he said, you know, you guys, you're discerning, you're hardworking, that's great, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. Then he says, remember then from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works quickly. I call it the three R's of getting right with God. Remember, repent, repeat. First remember, was there a time in your life spiritually when you were closer to God than you are right now? Was there a time where you were more passionate in your faith? So you start by remembering, then you repent, means change your behavior. You know, it's interesting because Jesus says, remember from where you have fallen. We don't think of leaving one's first love as a form of falling, but according to Jesus, it is. Remember from where you have fallen and do the first works quickly or repeat. Get back and do those things again. So back to our story. They rebuilt the altar. Now the big contest is ready to happen. The shootout at the Carmel Corral. The battle of the gods. Elijah's come out of hiding. He's hard to miss. He's a very hairy dude. <laughs> he chooses off Baal. He says to King Ahab, let's have a shootout. Let's have a contest. Whoever has the right God, let that God answer by fire. Amazingly, Ahab agrees to this agreement. 
Why? Because as I pointed out, hashtag sin makes you stupid. And he should, never should have agreed to this because he was gonna lose for sure. And so now Elijah says, summon all the prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Ashtoreth who are supported by Jezebel. So there stands Elijah, 850 to one. <laughs> but we know who's gonna win this one. Now let's see what happens. First Kings 18, 27, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them saying, you'll have to shout louder. He scoffed, for surely he's a god, maybe he's daydreaming or he's relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. We'll stop there. So Elijah's having a little fun at their expense. He mocks them. And that's one of the reasons I like Elijah. <laughs> he was a mocking prophet and I am a mocking preacher. <laughs> and so he says, hey, maybe your God's asleep. Isn't it great to know God doesn't fall asleep? God is never asleep at the wheel. He's always paying careful attention to us and what is happening in our world. Psalm 121.4 says, he that keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Second Chronicles 69, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So God's not just awake. God is alert. God is aware. God is omniscient, which means all-knowing. God is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. God is omnipresent, which means present everywhere. That means that he's watching you and me and us and others simultaneously. How does he do that? I don't know, but he does. He's God. Elijah also yells this, and I have to draw attention to it. Maybe your God is daydreaming or is relieving himself. Yes, that's what it meant. Hey, maybe your God's sitting on the toilet. He was really mocking them big time. And uh, it says, hey, maybe you guys should yell louder. Just yell louder. And so they're yelling louder, they're cutting themselves, and it's so clear that nothing is going to happen because their gods are not real. Uh, as that passage says that we already read, there was no answer because there were no gods to give an answer. So here's what was happening. The Lord was gonna allow Israel to see the emptiness of their so-called gods so they would turn from those false gods and instead turn to him, the true God. Now it's God's turn. Okay, you guys done? Man, you made a mess, blood everywhere. Get out of here. Let's mop this place up. And he says, all right, now we're gonna let the Lord answer. Let's cover the altar with water. By the way, water was scarce. Don't forget there had been a drought that lasted over three years. Douse the whole altar with water. Yeah, do it again. Yeah, let's do it one more time. Why? Because he wanted everyone to realize that when this answer came, it was not a trick. It was the Lord. And so everything was now set, bringing me to point number two. Our job is to pray. God's job is to answer. Our job is to pray. God's job is to answer. So what are you facing right now? Do you have a problem? Do you have a conflict? Do you have a need? 
Do you need God's provision? Do you need God's healing? Are you looking for a mate to spend the rest of your life with? Are you, are you looking for employment? Are you looking for something else? Have you prayed about it? You know, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And then Jesus said, ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened. So there's your part and there's God's part. Our job is to pray, God's job is to answer. First Kings 18, 36, look at that with me. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. I love the confidence that Elijah has in God. No screaming, no yelling, no cutting, no anything. Lord, Will you answer this prayer right now? So what happened then? Look at 1 Kings 18, 36. Excuse me, 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and then licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. So, hey, the people realize now that God was in control. But the Lord wasn't done. He wasn't gonna just bring fire from heaven in answer to the prayer of the prophet. He was now gonna bring back the rain. Again, they'd been in a trot for over three years. Hey everybody, Greg Laurie here with some thoughts about depression. You know, when people get depressed, they're usually depressed about one of these three things. Number one, they're depressed about their past. They're depressed about their present, and they're depressed and worried about their future. God addresses all of that. Interestingly, in Romans chapter 8, let's start with your past. You're depressed about your past. You said or did something you wished you had not done. Okay, here's what Romans 8, 1 says. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, God doesn't condemn you. Why do you condemn yourself? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we will confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God forgives you and God forgets your sin. Why should I choose to remember what God has chosen to forget? So that's number one, depression about my past. Then there's depression about the future. You're worried. Oh, what's going to happen? What if this happens? What if that happens? That is addressed in Romans 8 as well, where Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life or principalities or powers or the worries for today or tomorrow will separate us from God's love. Listen to this. God's in control of your future and God loves you and nothing will ever stop God from loving you. God is not mad at you. God is mad about you. He can't keep his eyes off of you. Then we come to our present. You're depressed about your present, something you're facing, some crisis. Remember, another verse, this is Romans 8 as well, verse 28, for we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So I hope those words encourage you a little bit that God has got you covered. From the best-selling author of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, comes Greg Laurie's new book, 
titled Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, which traces the rise, fall, and sometimes redemption journeys of famous rock gods who are brought to their knees and look up to finally meet the one true God. It's all in the pages of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. You'll discover the excess in self-absorption, but also of sweet salvation and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Greg uses his own memories, interviews, and observation to draw from the lives of rock legends as they descend to the depths of hell before ascending to the highest heaven. Request your copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus when you give today. But Elijah knew it was going to rain because the Lord revealed it to him. Bringing me to point number three. God answers prayer the way he wants and when he wants. God answers prayer the way he wants and when he wants. First Kings 18.43. Go look toward the sea, Elijah says to his servant. He went up and looked. There's nothing there. Do it again. Do it again. Seven times his servant went. Then the seventh time he went. And he said, well, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising from the sea. So Elijah said, you go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and get down before the rain stops you. So this is kind of a funny twist in the story. There's a lot of funny little things in the life of Elijah. Not just him telling the false prophets that God's sitting on the toilet. But this too. So he says to Ahab, you better get back to the palace. Hurry, get in your chariot. Put your rain tires on. It's gonna be big rain. There's no rain. Get in the chariot. So off Ahab goes. I'm amazed that Elijah even cares about King Ahab. I want you to get home safely. And as the king is making his way back to the palace, the scripture tells us that Elijah passes him on foot. How fast do you have to run to beat a chariot pulled by horses? It's like Elijah has become Sonic the Hedgehog. What was that all about? Amazing. And so when King Ahab gets home, he's gonna now give Queen Jezebel the news. First Kings 19, one. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow, I have not killed you, just as you killed them, referring to the false prophets. And now this verse, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. So when Jezebel heard of what happened and how the prophets of Baal had been killed, she put a contract out on him. Hey, whack the hairy guy. His days are numbered. I want you to do this in 24 hours. Why? Why this wickedness? Answer, evil cannot tolerate righteousness. Have you ever noticed that the most intolerant people are the people that talk the most about tolerance? They say Christians are intolerant. I think that's not true. I think Christians are very tolerant. You can take someone we don't agree with in any way. We'll still show kindness to them, love to them, hear their point of view. Of course, we're gonna try to persuade them 
uh, to believe what we believe from the scripture, but we're very tolerant in that regard. That doesn't mean we endorse these things or agree with these things, but we're tolerant in as far as we're willing to engage in conversation, but other people are completely intolerant. Their view is not only can you not oppose my view, you can't even hold a view. I want to silence you, I want to cancel you. I don't even want you to have a voice in this conversation. Why? People do not come to the light lest their evil deeds be exposed. You see, it's not that they can't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. It's that they don't want to follow him because it may mean or it will mean that they have to turn from their sin and they don't want to do that. So Jezebel, so quick to threaten, is gonna face judgment herself. The Bible tells us that she was ultimately eaten by dogs. And uh, Elijah predicted this. I told this Bible story to a couple of my grandkids. They're really digging it, you know, fire from heaven, rain, all this cool stuff. And then dogs ate her, Papa, no! Yeah, this is what happened, okay? <laughs> Listen, sin will have its pound of flesh. Like Shylock and the merchant of Venice. He wanted his pound of flesh. Satan will get what he wants. He'll give you a few good times, a few pleasures, then payday's coming. And you're gonna pay up if you like it or not. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Notice it's wages. You worked for it, now you're gonna get paid. You don't want that payment at all. So Elijah hears this threat from Jezebel. You would think Elijah, the guy who called fire from heaven, the guy who raised a boy from the dead, a guy who stopped the rain. You're afraid of the threat of one woman? Yes, he was. Why though, why? Simple answer, James 5, 17. Because Elijah was as human as we are. We put spiritual leaders on pedestals. Bible teachers, preachers, others. Oh, they're so spiritual. They, they never get down. They never get depressed like I do. Every day's great for them. They're human just like you. And here's a man of God who got really down. First Kings 19.4, he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed he might die. And he said, Lord, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Hmm. By the way, Elijah was not the first man or woman of God to feel this way. Moses became so blue, he asked God to take his life. Jonah, after the great revival of Nineveh, said the same thing. Even the apostle Paul got so down, he said he despaired of life. Again, Elijah was human as we are, and emotions can get the best of us. So let me wrap this message up with some ways to deal with depression. And when I say this, I want you to know that I believe there is something called clinical depression. And you can go to your doctor and you can talk to him or her about that. I'm not talking about clinical depression. I'm talking about the kind of depression we all may face from time to time. When we get down on the dumps or down on the doldrums or whatever it is. So here's some things you can take into your mind as you find depression closing in on you. Number one, times of depression and vulnerability often come after great victories. Times of depression and vulnerability come after great victories. Don't forget, Elijah just had the greatest victory of his life. 
In fact, everything in his life had built to this moment. You know, he, he goes into the court of Ahab and says, as the Lord God lives, before whom I stand, there will not be rain, but according to my word, great entrance. The Lord calls him into obscurity, first sitting by a little brook called Cherith, where the birds brought him food every day, and he drank from the brook, then the brook dried up. Then the Lord led Elijah over to some poor widow woman who cared for him, so he was off the grid. And then the Lord said, okay, you're ready. And he goes and has this amazing moment on Mount Carmel. And now this threat comes and he goes into depression. Maybe Elijah was hoping that Ahab would come around spiritually. Maybe he even thought that Jezebel would believe. But it was the opposite. Jezebel was angry and threatened Elijah's life. So he was down. Bringing me to my next point about dealing with depression. When you are depressed, do not isolate but surround yourself with friends. When you're depressed, do not isolate, but surround yourself with friends, 1 Kings 19, 4. Then he went on alone in the wilderness, traveling all day. Elijah should have had a trusted friend who could encourage him. Often when we're down, we separate from people and we should do the opposite. Even Jesus asked Peter, James, and John to sit with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Reason being, according to the scripture, his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus didn't need a sermon. You don't need to preach a sermon to Jesus. But he did need a little companionship. And that helps you. People give you perspective, you know. They tell you the truth. But Elijah was all alone. And then Elijah left that place, bringing me to point number four, my last point. When you're feeling down, you need perspective from God's word. When you're feeling down, you need perspective from God's word. First Kings 19.8, he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night, and the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Maybe somebody listening to me right now finds himself in a cave of sorts. You know, and maybe you've put yourself in that cave. You've made some bad decisions and now you're reaping the inevitable consequences of that decision. And you're saying, why did this happen to me, Lord? The Lord's saying, what are you doing here? Why did you go there? You know what would happen, you knew what would happen rather, and, and this surprises you, what are you doing here? You should not be here. Jesus could have asked that question of Simon Peter when he's warming himself by the enemies of Christ around a fire after he had already denied the Lord once and was gonna do it again. The Lord could have said, what are you doing here? The Lord could have said it to Samson when he laid his head down on the lap of Delilah who was about to give him a permanent haircut. Samson, what are you doing here? He could say it to some people right now. You know, I struggle with drinking. I don't know it's such a struggle. And, and when I was at the bar the other day, wait, wh why are you at a bar? What are you doing there? In fact, why weren't you at church? You're over here doing the wrong thing, hanging around with the wrong people, and now things are crashing down on you, and you say, why is this happening? What are you doing there? Get out of that place. Well, I need God to get me out. Well, sometimes there's things that God will do, and there's things that we gotta do. Like Jesus said to that man who was disabled, he asked him, do you want to be made whole? Why would he ask that? Do fish swim? 
Not everybody wants to be whole. Not everybody wants to be free from whatever addiction it is that has them. Not everybody wants to be free from the lifestyle they've chosen. Not everybody wants to be free from this sin that has a hold of them, but some do. And if you want to be free, if you want to be healed, you say, yes, Lord, heal me. Call out to him and he'll hear your voice. He'll hear your prayer. And just like he helped Johnny, just like the Lord helped Elijah, he'll help you. But you need to call out to him. Maybe God has spoken to your heart and you have seen your need for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to this earth. He was born in a manger. He died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. Listen, I'm not talking about religion. I don't want to be a religious person. I don't think you want to be one either. I'm talking about relationship with God. Jesus, who died and rose again, stands at the door of your life and he knocks and he says, if you'll hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. Question, have you asked Jesus Christ to come and live inside of you? You might say, well, I, I think so. I'm not sure. Hey, if someone moved into your house in the middle of the night, do you think you would be aware of it? I'm sure you would. And in the same way, if Christ has come to live inside of you, you will know. And if you don't know, maybe he has not come in yet. He's just a prayer away. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I want this relationship with you. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to go to heaven when I die. Would you like to do that? Would you like Christ to come into your life? If so, why don't you just pray this simple prayer with me? You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But this is a prayer where you're asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Pray this with me now. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. Now come into my life. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Thank you for hearing this prayer and answering this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you just pray that prayer with me? If so, I want you to know in the authority of Scripture that Christ himself has come to live inside of you. And I would love to send to you at no charge something called the New Believer's Bible. It's a very friendly translation of the New Testament. You'll find very understandable. And it's filled with hundreds of notes that I wrote that will encourage you in this commitment you've just made to follow Jesus. Let me send that to you at no charge. And let me be the first to say to you, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. Hey, Southern California, Greg Laurie here. You know, there's nothing like gathering together in person to worship the Lord and hear the Word of God. And I want to personally invite you to live worship at our church campuses. There's two you can choose from. Our service times are 9 in the morning and 11 in the morning. So join us as we meet both inside and outside every Sunday morning. From the best-selling author of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, comes Greg Laurie's new book, 
titled Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, which traces the rise, fall, and sometimes redemption journeys of famous rock gods who are brought to their knees and look up to finally meet the one true God. It's all in the pages of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. You'll discover the excess in self-absorption, but also of sweet salvation and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Greg uses his own memories, interviews, and observation to draw from the lives of rock legends as they descend to the depths of hell before ascending to the highest heaven. Request your copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus when you give today.